0: It's amazing. You're looking at the market full in 20-point increments, 30-point increments, and usually we trade in, you know, cents, half a cents, 20 cents, and you know something's up. You know it's more than grease.
1: Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. That was Alan Valdez, vice president of Cabrique Trading, you heard at the top. He was talking about the tremendous plunge the Dow took yesterday afternoon.
0: And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Friday, May 7th. On the show today, we go into a secret room at a credit rating agency where the fate of Greece is decided.
1: That is not true. I couldn't actually get into that room.
0: (laughs) And actually, what happens in that room doesn't decide the fate of Greece. But... People in that room do give Greece a grade, those letter grades you hear about, the AAA rating, the AA rating that the rating agencies give out. And those grades, they are very, very important. They are supposed to indicate how likely it is if you loan a country's government some money, you'll get paid back the full amount on time with interest. We'll have much more on that in the program coming up.
1: But first, our Planet Money indicator. Alex, Jacob Goldstein, our Planet Money blogger, and I, we have been working on this all day, so we'll get back to you in a second. Jacob, thanks for coming in.
2: Let's have it. My indicator for you? One cent. You couldn't do better than that? I could not do any better than that. (laughs) That one cent is how much a share of the consulting company Accenture traded for yesterday. Uh, Now, Accenture is a big consulting company. You've probably seen their ads with Tiger Woods in in the airport, maybe, or in a magazine. But yesterday, Tiger Woods was not their problem. (laughs) The stock started the day somewhere around $40 a share. Briefly traded for a penny a share and then snapped back up to
1: $40. Right. So that was just one example. Yesterday was this really, really strange day for the stock market. The Dow suddenly plunged, oh, 600 points. You and I were walking around looking at the screen going wow
2: that's really strange and then 60 minutes later it bounced right back right and you know today we've been we've been reading and, and trying to figure out what happened and frankly it's still not entirely clear what was going on yesterday
1: so we called up Robert Whitelaw he is the chair of the finance department at NYU's Stern School of Business and he said he was in his office when this happened they also saw the stock market do this very strange thing pretty soon all these academics are out wandering around the hallways trying to sort out what the heck was going on he said it was just totally bizarre
2: Right. So Whitelott told us his best understanding so far of what happened. Now, for some reason, a handful of stocks, Procter & Gamble, Accenture, 3M, they, they lose value pretty sharply. Now, that piece, the why there is still unclear. It's not clear why there was this sharp decline in value. But what is clear is that when those stocks had that sharp decline in value, this kind of circuit breaker kicked in on the New York Stock Exchange. Now, when this happens, for about a minute, electronic trading is slowed down on the exchange to allow actual people to jump in and kind of sort things out.
1: Right. So, But it turns out that when the New York Stock Exchange says, hey, let's take a breather, trading can actually just move somewhere else. Here's Robert Whitelaw.
3: Suddenly... You can't trade on, you know, there are tons of people out there who want immediacy, so maybe it's computers, computer-generated trade, and suddenly there is no, they have no ability to trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And these are NYSE-listed stocks, so suddenly they jump to, say, NASDAQ.
1: So, that, so we, should, we should make clear that there are that the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange are not just traded there. They're traded other places also. That,
3: that's correct, although there are rules about when they can and cannot tr- be traded you know, off-exchange and on-exchange. But in this under, under these circumstances, suddenly NASDAQ becomes the market in which these traded. And this may only be for 30 seconds, but you've got to understand that, you know, Maybe two decades ago, immediacy meant oh, I need to get my order processed in the next half hour. Now, immediacy means I need to get my order processed in the next half second.
1: So, how does that explain what happens? So, the New York okay. Stock ex- so the New York Stock Exchange puts a pause, basically a circuit breaker gets activated. You can no longer trade, say Procter and Gamble at the New York Stock Exchange, but their computers they're still trying to sell it for whatever reason, yeah. and so they switch to trying to sell it at Nasdaq or some other electronic. Okay,
3: exchange. right, so. So but all the liquidity or not all but the vast majority of the liquidity. Meaning or the, the, depth, the,
1: the liquidity meaning the volume of buying and selling.
3: Yeah, so in this case what I mean is limit orders, which is people standing ready to buy the stock at just below current market prices. So, you know, the New York Stock Exchange will have a, what they call a limit order book, which is a bunch of orders from people saying, Yes, I know the current stock price is sixty, but if it drops to fifty nine I'm a buyer. If it drops to fifty eight, I'm a buyer.
1: I see. And usually there are a lot of those hanging arounds, which is why when you want to sell something, it gets snapped up right
3: away. Exactly. But the problem is, for these New York Stock Exchange stocks, the liquidity is heavily concentrated on the New York Stock Exchange. So suddenly, that liquidity, we think, disappeared, maybe only for 30 seconds, but it disappeared. So now, imagine you have a a market sell order, which is basically you're saying, I want to sell 1,000 shares of this stock or 10,000 shares of this stock at whatever price is available. Normally that would just pick off a few of the top limit orders on the limit order book and instead of getting 60 bucks you get 59 or 58 or whatever. But now that limit order book disappears because that's on the New York Stock Exchange. And so there are no other limit orders out there or there are very few of them and so the next limit order is at 50 and then there's one at 40 and then there's one at 1 cent and it suddenly runs through all those orders and you see the 1 cent transaction.
2: So okay David so so you see these big plunges in a few stocks right and so that has a few effects for one thing you know there's only 30 stocks in the dow right so when you have Procter and Gamble and 3M both of which are in the dow going way down super fast that alone is enough to account for hundreds of points of the drop so a big chunk of the drop was just these crazy huge drops in a few stocks and then Now, this part is not entirely clear, frankly, but it appears that in addition to that, this drop would have triggered other kind of computerized orders to go through. And so you would have had a sort of feedback loop where the drop keeps going. But in any case, the market sort of came to its senses and pretty quickly snapped back up. Right. So my question to
1: Robert Whitelaw was, does this thing matter? I mean, it was sort of, it looked like the patient died, then the patient was back alive and up and walking everything seemed fine. And he said, it's going to have zero effect on those companies, Accenture, Procter & Gamble, 3M. Uh, And sure, there are some people who lost money and some people who made money when those stocks were sold at at very low prices. He says, the real problem here is just investor confidence. Like, it doesn't feel good to watch the stock market do what
3: it did that day. Does this damage... Investor confidence? Are people going to be reluctant to trust, you know, even the short or medium term prices that they see when they know that this kind of thing can happen? Right now, the world is rather uncertain. I mean, you know, we have the Greek debt crisis, we have all these fiscal problems, you know, not just in Europe, but also in the US. Goldman Sachs, financial regulation, whatever you want to call it, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Adding to uncertainty, is probably not a good thing. (laughs) And it's clear, especially now that we're not exactly sure what happened, that, you know, this is not going to inspire confidence in the markets.
2: So today was kind of a jittery day in the stock market. Uh, It's down as we're taping this. It's been bouncing around. But it it doesn't seem, at least today, like, you know, everybody's pulling their money out of the market and sticking it under the mattress.
1: Jacob, I thought you always put yours in the cookie jar. Who told you? All
2: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks.
1: Okay, Alex. Back to our topic for today: the rating agencies and rating of countries. So, just last week, Standard and Poor's downgraded Greece, and Greece's rating crossed this magical line to what the market calls junk status. That's a, actually it's a double B plus is what Greece has right now. And, and those rating downgrades can be really devastating. For instance, Greece has a bunch of bonds coming due, totaling eleven billion dollars. Eleven billion dollars due in just two weeks. And Greece doesn't have all that money. Usually what a country does is it just issues new bonds. It rolls over the debt. But this downgrade is going to make that a lot harder for Greece to do because nobody wants to loan money, or not many people want to loan money to a country that's been rated junk, or they're only going to loan the money if they get a high interest rate in return.
0: So these ratings are really important, and this has always been kind of a a mystery to us here. How do they actually arrive at that judgment? How do the rating agencies say Greece is a double B+, Botswana is a single A. How do you rate a country, an entire government?
1: So we should probably back up a bit here. Rating agencies, they've been around since the 1800s. Henry Varnum Poor, that is the Poor of Standard & Poor's, was rating railroads back in the 1860s, and the idea was to help investors answer that one question, if I loan Bloomberg Railroad, $1,000, what are the chances I'm going to get my money back? Excellent. The chances are 100% you will get your money back. (laughs) That is exactly why we need an independent rating agency, (laughs) because I don't trust you. So, and when I say loan you money, I really mean I'm going to buy a Bloomberg Railroad bond, because when you buy a bond, you're basically loaning money, and you're hoping to get paid back in full with interest on time.
0: So, a AAA rating meant, yeah, don't worry, we think you're going to get your money back. The company is sound financially. Business is good. Down in the letter B grades, though... You better be careful.
1: And in the 1920s, rating agencies started sticking these letter grades on things much bigger than companies. They started to tackle entire governments. But, you know, rating a country to me seems a little harder than rating a railroad. So I went to see how they do it. I went to Standard & Poor's. They are in a huge building at the southern tip of Manhattan. They took me up to the 46th floor. You can see the New York skyline out the window. And I met with Joydeep Mukherjee, who is the director of one of their sovereign rating groups. That's what they call the groups that rate countries, sovereign rating groups. And I asked him to walk me through the process.
4: Okay, let's suppose that uh, it's a new country. We know nothing about it. They approach us and say, okay, we want a rating. Why would they say that? Uh, Because most of the time they want to issue debt in the market outside their home market. Meaning they want to borrow money by issuing bonds. They want to borrow money from abroad. So we can come in there and and make an independent assessment of the ability to pay the debt fully and on
1: time. What's the most recent new country to pop up and ask for a rating, do you know? Albania.
4: Albania. Albania. (laughs)
1: So so JoyDeep says Standard & Poor's will say to whatever this country is, okay, you got to give us your data. We're going to need all this information about your budget, your imports, your exports, your gross domestic product, and, of course, we need to know about your debt.
0: And for Greece, those numbers look pretty bad, especially the debt part. Greece owes a lot of money. In fact, it owes more than the entire country produces in a year. The Greek debt is 120% of its GDP.
1: So that on itself looks pretty bad. You'd think, oh, they're going to get a bad rating. But JoyDeep says you can't always just go by numbers like that. For instance, the United States also has a lot of debt, something like 80% of our GDP. But we get the top rating, a AAA rating.
4: This is the hard part, is that you can't just pick one ratio. There's no magic formula that says, you know, if debt exceeds X percent of whatever, then you've got to be in this rating or you're going to be here. Uh, Because what you find is, you know, rich countries with a high rating, like the United States or some of the European countries, have a lot of debt. Why? Because they have a rich economy. They have a good tax system that generates revenues. And they're borrowing
1: so they can grow, and they do grow, and then they can pay back the debt. Part of of growing is often borrowing to
4: finance the growth. Debt isn't necessarily a sign of weakness. It's a sign of expansion and things like that. If you go to the other end of the scale... You may have a little bit of debt and still default. I mean, the saying you can drown in a glass of water, you know, or if you're a very good swimmer, you can swim across the Atlantic no matter how deep it is. So that's why you can't look at one indicator in isolation and say this is going to explain everything.
0: And Dave, these guys also have to factor in other completely non-financial things into their thinking, like who's going to win the next election and what's that person's domestic policy going to be? And I don't know. Is there going to be a military coup? Yeah, anything
1: could happen. And that is why analysts at Standard & Poor's take an additional radical step.
4: They leave their desks. Any country, we have two analysts who go to the country for that rating. Never send just one person because, you know, you you need to have a second pair of eyes. I think there are people listening to this who would say, just two?
1: Shouldn't you be sending 70 to rate a, a country's government?
4: Well, we're not the IMF. We, we, we don't send a team you know, of a lot of uh, expert specialists. And, you know, to be fair, uh, what we're looking at is fairly narrow. Can you pay your debt fully and on time? What's your ability and willingness to do so? So we're not necessarily going to be experts on the taxation system in Albania. So, you know, I think two people, this has been their practice. It, it's worked well. So they go over. Um, how long do they spend there? If it's a new rating, first time, uh, we could spend up to a week – Obviously, you're going to meet with the Ministry of Finance. You meet with the central bank because they have a key role in the economy with things like inflation and exchange rates. Then we go talk to the business people. We'll talk to them. We'll talk to anyone. Sometimes even talk to the media in the countries that No. Yes. Sometimes surreptitiously, we even talk to the media in various countries.
0: I love that. So it's a private corporation having an off-the-record conversation with the media. Usually it's the other way around.
1: And it proves to me it's true. The media do control the world. All those conspiracies are right. So all this data, the random private off-the-record musings of journalists, the interviews with top government officials, all the numbers, all that goes into the head of an analyst. And that analyst types up a report, recommends a rating, and then there's the climactic end. There is a meeting in a conference room. And this happens on another floor at Standard & Poor's where they could not take me, but Joydeep did a kind of reenactment with what he swears is an identical conference
4: room. We walk down this hallway, we come to this room, and uh, we walk inside, and as you can see, if I open the door here, uh, it looks like any conference room anywhere in America. And the key feature here is a telephone. And (laughs) and that's important because uh, the rating committee is international.
1: So a bunch of analysts sit around. Some of them are there on the phone. They're going to talk about this, and then they're going to take a vote.
4: There has to be at least uh, an, well, five is the usual number of voting members. We always want to have an odd number because you don't want to tie. You just, you know, and do the whole thing again. So you, you lock yourself in a conference room. Yes. And then the analyst can make a very brief introduction saying, I recommend this for the following reasons. So, okay. And then the chair of the committee, who sits at the front of the table, um, says, okay, now we're going to start the question and answer period. Uh, let's start with this topic. Let's start with political risk. When you've exhausted that topic, the chair will say, okay, let's talk about the government budget, or let's talk about inflation. End of the process, okay, fine, no more questions. Everyone's set. We know as much as we're going to know on this thing. How long does that take? So Even if you're doing a a, a sovereign uh, which uh, is relatively boring, like a Canada, which is rated A. you still have to go through all the steps. So two hours is sort of average. And then you have the vote. And say, okay, analyst A, how do you vote? Analyst B, you just go through the list, tally up the votes, and say, okay, the majority voted for this.
0: This is the rating. So, Dave, I don't know what I was expecting, but I always think of finance as being very quantitative, you know, spreadsheets, numbers, and formulas. And- This strikes me as more of a messy democratic process, like literally a hand vote, like you'd have at a, I don't know, a co-op board or a PTA meeting or something.
1: Right. I mean, this is – it's a matter of opinion, right? This is a judgment call by a bunch of analysts. And that's why you get people
0: out there with different opinions who often get angry at the rating agencies. People like – Bill Gross, the managing director of a company called PIMCO. Now, PIMCO is one of the largest buyers of government bonds out there. They have over a trillion dollars under management, and he has whole teams of people doing essentially what S&P does, evaluating government bonds. And Bill Gross, he took S&P to task this week. He has this online column, and he went on a little bit of a rant, and the rant was about the rating that S&P gave to Spanish debt. He said the rating for Spain is way too high. And here is what he wrote. He wrote, S&P just this past week downgraded Spain one notch to AA from AA+. Ooh. And he actually wrote this in his column. He wrote, ooh, so tough. And then he went on, here's a country with 20% unemployment, a recent current account deficit of 10% that has defaulted 13 times in the past two centuries.
1: This is the strange thing about the rating agencies. Like, on the one hand, they're just a bunch of analysts offering their opinion. But when they change their opinion, that can have massive consequences.
0: And to explain what these massive consequences are, I have a piece of paper in front of me. It's a prospectus for the Fidelity Investment Grade Bond Fund. You might have money in here right now if you invest with Fidelity. And the investment-grade bond fund prospectus says the following. It says it, quote, normally invests at least 80% of the fund's assets in investment-grade debt securities. So in other words, before the downgrade of Greek debt, Fidelity could invest in Greek bonds without a problem. But after the downgrade, this fund might have to sell its Greek bonds.
1: And this is not just fidelity. There are lots and lots of investors who have these kinds of rules where they reference the ratings from these rating agencies, where it matters whether something's investment grade or below investment grade. Pension funds, insurance companies, banks, lots of people who used to loan Greece money. Now it's harder for them because Greece has been lowered to junk status. So the
0: allegation is a downgrade can help seal a country's fate. Joydeep, the analyst at S&P, he doesn't buy that. He says we are just holding up a mirror to the world.
4: It's not the rating which caused the problem. The problem was there. The rating, as it changed, will bring the news out to more people. And, you know, we've had this in the world of sovereigns. We had the 1997 Asian crisis where we downgraded some sovereigns. People accused us of this very thing, of creating the crisis. In fact, you find most countries that we downgraded, downgraded, were, went down a little, and they stopped there, and they recovered. Only one or two countries really went to the bottom and even defaulted. What does that mean? That means that the inherent strength of the entity is more important than what a rating agency says. You know, rating agency downgrades by themselves are not going to cause anyone to default. Is there a big deal when
1: you cross from investment grade to non-investment grade because certain investors are constrained by laws?
4: Yes, Simple answer.
1: (laughs) Do you treat that boundary as sort of special in your meetings because of that?
4: We think deeper and longer and harder about going across that line. So
1: it it is significant that Greece passed from investment grade to now below investment grade? I, I
4: think that's how the market has interpreted that.
1: You know, Alex, for all the fuss about that downgrade, Standard & Poor's told me they don't expect Greece to default immediately at least. Greece is now in the double B category. And historically, if you look at double B-rated countries, if you look at the next three years,
0: something like just 4.5% typically end up defaulting. So the big question, will Greece fall in that 4.5% category or not? And that is the question on everybody's minds. And we, like everybody else around the world, will be examining that question. Our very own Hana Jaffe walt is actually in Greece right now. Reporting on events over there. We will also be following these events on our blog, npr.org slash money.
1: And our very own Adam Davidson is in California to interview the CEO of Pimco. They have those big bond managers we were talking about. We will have that for you on a future podcast. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. She was talking, she won't come